Well, if you got here early enough, you might have heard Hank Williams singing, groaning out, your cheating heart. And uh, if you didn't, we'll play it on the way out as well. But uh, So I want to start today, there was a reason why that song was playing, I want to start today by asking, and not by a show of hands, but just answer to yourself, is if you have ever been cheated on in a relationship. And I have. I was cheated on once, and when I found out, I felt two things. Intense betrayal, and I wanted to kill the other guy. And that's just honestly how I felt, was betrayal, and I wanted death for the other guy. And then ironically enough, three months later, after a family intervention, I found myself in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I started going through the 12 steps. And when I started inventorying my own life, it wasn't until that point that I realized that I was the one that had been cheating that I was the cheater in the relationship, both with her, but also with God, most importantly. That I was in a relationship with God and had been long time wandering for him and had many other lovers, including that woman, my alcohol and drugs and pills, my laziness, my gluttony, and my perverted, insatiable appetite for sexual sin of any kind, and status, and greed, and materialism. And so I had a ton of other lovers, even though I had professed my love to God. And so that's what we're going to talk about today in James chapter 4, verses 4 through 12, if you want to follow along. And I believe in that moment or rather those 12 years when I was cheating on God with those other lovers, that God felt the same thing I did, betrayal, and that he wanted death for my other lovers. And that's just not anecdotal, but here in James 4, 5, he says that he feels jealousy for the spirit that he has caused to live within us. That we are wed to him and he jealously yearns for us to be faithful only unto him. And also in Colossians 3, 5, he says, those things that belong to your sinful nature that you're giving yourselves over to, put them to death. He wants death for anything else that we are giving over our affections to in a sinful way. So I don't figure that I'm the only one in the room that has other lovers apart from God. But that really, this could be like Adulterers Anonymous here in this gathering of men this morning as we awkwardly awkwardly laugh. And so today we're going to talk about lingering lovers, those lovers that still linger in our lives. Then secondly, leaving our lovers. And then ultimately, loving others, which is God's command, love God and love others. So that's what we're going to be walking through today. Turn, if you will, we'll read through the passages as we go, but we'll be in James 4, 4 through 6 to begin. Lingering lovers, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or hatred with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he, God, yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. So my first point is that love is loyal. 
We are in a covenant relationship with God. If you have trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you have professed personally, Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner. I place my faith in you as the one who died for my sins, was buried, and rose from the dead. Then you are in a covenant relationship with him. When he says, you adulterous people, he's not saying, you fornicators, you who are far away from God that are just having sex. Because to to commit adultery, you have to be in a marital relationship. You've got to be wed to one another and then having sex with another. So when he says, you adulterous people, he's reminding us, James is reminding the church, you are wed to Christ He is the bridegroom, the church, us, we are the bride. And we have betrothed ourselves to him to remain faithful and pure, holy unto him until he comes again or until we go to him. And so it is adultery to give ourselves over to any other lover. 2 Corinthians 11.2, Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says this, see if it sounds familiar to the James passage. I feel a divine jealousy for you. For I betrothed you, church, to one husband, Jesus, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. That in our time of preparation until Christ returned, we would put aside every other lover. That when he comes to us to redeem us fully and be, uh, have the wedding feast of the Lamb, that we would be found waiting for him, not with any other lovers. So, lingering lovers... A couple of weeks ago, Laura and I were uh, in bed, totally innocent. Well, it would be innocent anyway. We're married, but we're sitting there in bed just like reading. And I want you to get a mental picture as we're talking about lovers. And uh, her phone starts blowing up with these text messages, like blowing up. And I'm like, What's, who, who's that? And she shows me her phone. She's like, I don't know. I don't know who this is because there were no contacts. You know, there's no names. It's just random numbers. And then as she reads more and kind of gets some context, she's like, oh, these are some guys I knew from five years ago. To which, of course, you know where I go, jealously yearns. I'm like, well, what happened? Like, total seriousness, my demeanor changed. She's like, nothing happened. We just, you know, just guys that I knew. And I was like, well, text them back and tell them you're married. (laughs) Because I'm a guy, and guys are dogs. And I know what those guys are doing. They're throwing some bait in the water to see if the fish will bite. And even though I don't have any concern that Laura's going to start dialoguing with these guys from five years ago, that's like not even on my mind. What's on my mind is what's on their mind. And that they've gone fishing to see if they can get a nibble. And so even if you're like, no, I've put aside my lovers. I don't have any other lovers in my life right now. Great. They still have your number. Whether it's the world, Satan, or your flesh, that dog is still alive and is still sniffing away to get through the fence. So if here in this passage, James says, do you not know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God, who you've been betrothed to? Then we got to know, well, what does friendship with the world look like? Like, what honestly does that look like? And so we're going to look at this. And, And the word friendship there is phylos which sounds a lot like phileo, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Jesus, when he was talking to Peter, the third time he asks him, Peter, do you love me more than these? He says, Peter, do you phileo me more than these? 
Peter says, yes, Lord, you know all things. And so that same word, do you love me more than these? James says, hey, you adulterous people, do you love the world? Because if you do, it's enmity with God. It's a love. And so in 1 John 2, 15 through 16, we get a clearer picture of what is love for the world, the lusts of the world, these lingering lovers in our life. Three things. Lust of the flesh, lust, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So lust of the flesh, we're going to walk through each one of these because these are your lingering lovers. Every category of sin in your life will fall into one of these three buckets. Lust of the flesh, you can think about what these might be. One, laziness. We are called to rule and subdue the earth from the beginning of Genesis until now. That doesn't mean we can never rest, but when we're supposed to work, we're supposed to work and not rest and be lazy. But our default, our desire of our flesh is comfort. Another one, gluttony. Eating for sport. Eating just because it feels good and tastes good on your tongue and dealing with the consequences later, like me and Brahms every week. And there's nothing wrong with sweets, but when you're eating and eating and eating just to fill that fleshly appetite... It's a lingering lover. Or maybe, from, you know, similar to me, it's something you're using to numb out with alcoholism or pills or weed or whatever it is when you're going beyond into debauchery or drunkenness or numbness or maybe the one that I haven't mentioned that's on everyone's mind, sexual sin. And in a room this large, I guarantee you somebody in here right now is committing adultery with another woman or is thinking about it and flirting with a coworker or your neighbor or your friend's wife or has just done so and is afraid to bring it into the light, but you must because it will lead to death. But even beyond that, we know from Jesus' words, even if it's not the physical act of adultery with another woman, it may be sex with your hand that you're committing adultery through pornography and maybe you just thought, well, I'm off the hook. I don't look at porn. Great. Your mental bank of memories that you're using, or maybe it's whatever you Google in your web browser history that's not going to come up as porn so no one will know and it won't get flagged in your covenant eyes, but you're using it as porn. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, acquiring things, just the acquisition of more and more and more. It's materialism, it's greed. It's the deceitfulness of riches that choke out the word that's been implanted in us and make us unfruitful. This is like the Titanic sinking. The alarms go off. You feel the tilt of the ship. Everyone starts clamoring for the lifeboats. And rather than you going and getting your family on the lifeboat and then telling everyone else, this is where the boats are. This is how you put on the life jacket. This ship is going down. You need to be saved. Rather than doing that, You go to the baggage room and you start gathering up your things, knowing that they're not going to let you on that boat with your things, that all that gets through those boats is people. But that you would gather up your things and while you're down there, be like, nobody's coming for that either. I think I'll get more. I think I'll get this and that and heap up all this stuff while the ship is going down. We would all say, that's insane. That's suicide. That's foolishness. And yet... This world is going down. See headlines and see this world, which says this world is passing away. 
And in our foolishness, in our lust of the eyes, we desire this acquisition for more rather than telling others, get on the lifeboat that is Christ. This world is passing away. Pride of life is the third category. This is the sin of Satan. That we want to elevate ourselves to the place of God. In Isaiah 28, five times he says, I will, I will, I will, I will make myself like the Most High, which is exactly what we do with self exaltation, self glorification, self insertion into a conversation to name drop. All those things where we're trying to elevate or insert ourselves into a place that God has not given us. James talks a lot about this, putting yourself in the place of God. So if if we have all of those lovers, that's a huge problem. And so here are some of the sweetest words in scripture. Verse six, but he gives more grace. Even though you've got all those other lovers and that I've got all those other lovers, he gives more grace like a faithful husband. Even though we're unfaithful, he remains faithful and he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That every time we say, Lord, I've been unfaithful to you. He says, it's okay, come here. I'm gonna, I will wash you. You're mine. You're betrothed to me. I love you. We need this because we go back to our old lovers. That's our daily default setting apart from the spirit. But we can't just up and decide, hey, I'm going I'm to leave these lingering lovers. We must do it by God's strength. And so secondly, James 4, 7 through 10, leaving your lovers. How do we leave our lovers? If we have those lingering lovers, then how do we leave them? And James, by the power of the Holy Spirit and by his words, is going to pen for us exactly how you leave those lovers. I grew up in Missouri. We had tornadoes every spring. Springfield, Missouri and Greene County, it was predictable. I mean, you just knew it was coming. And what we would do is we would leave those areas of life where there was many things around and we would go to someplace secluded and we would get low and tuck our head between our knees and duck and cover, knowing that there was an unseeable, unstoppable, relentless, destructing force, deadly, that was coming after us. And we didn't know which angle it was going to come from or how hard it was going to hit. Tornado, also Satan. And so in this passage, you get low to get free. Verse seven, submit yourselves therefore to God. Why does it say therefore? Because you have other lovers. Therefore, submit yourselves to God. There's another passage that talks about submitting. In Ephesians 5, wives, submit to your husbands. We are the bride of Christ. Therefore, submit to your husband, men. Submit to Christ. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Why? Because you have lovers and because Satan is coming after us. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Also see Jesus in the desert when he faced the three categories of sin that we did. Satan says, you see that stone? Turn it to bread, lust of the flesh, his, his physical appetites. Jesus resists him. He takes him up to the top of the temple. Throw yourself down. Show yourself to be God. You won't die. You're God, right? Show him you're not just a man. Pride of life. To assume the position of God, even though he was God in flesh, he'd not yet revealed himself that way. Satan putting him in the test, pride of life. And then he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, you don't have to go to the cross. 
I'll give you all these kingdoms. Just fall down and worship me, which is ultimately what he wants from us too. He wants us to worship him. And when we give ourselves over to those other things, we're worshiping Satan. Because in 1 Corinthians 10, it says, an idol is nothing, but what's behind an idol is demons. And I don't want you to be partakers with demons. And Jesus resists them there too with the lust of the eyes. All the kingdoms could be yours. No, no, I'm going to the cross. And ultimately, I will have all kingdoms. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Where do we do this? We draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is the only way, men, to be free from sin is to draw near to God. You will have no other victory in your war against sin other than drawing near to God. Galatians 5.16, so I say, walk by the Spirit continuously, all day, every day, and the promise, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. They're incompatible. You walk by the Spirit, you won't give yourselves over to the flesh. Someone asked me recently, how in the world did that person end up having an affair? I can't even fathom that. How could that have happened? And I said, easy. They stopped walking with God daily. I know that because if I stop walking with God daily, that's where I'll end up. I guarantee you, I'll have an affair, I'll be back into alcoholism, I'll do every sin imaginable if I stop walking with God. That is within me. It's my default setting apart from the Lord. How do we do this? We cleanse our hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. It's a realization of the sinfulness of sin instead of taking it lightly and abusing grace, but rather this picture of repentance. Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. Repentance is turning from sin by turning towards Christ. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. And so what he says is cleanse your hands, meaning let's take porn for example. You looked at porn, great. Put a lock on your computer, get a web filter, get a flip phone instead of a smartphone. Cleanse your hand. That which is leading you into sin, clean it, get rid of it. But that's not enough, right? To get rid of my computer. Like I'll still struggle with lust, won't I? All of us. Just getting rid of my computer doesn't mean my thoughts and that fleshly appetite's gonna go away. We all know that. So what else do we have to do? Purify our hearts. And the only way we do that is by the Holy Spirit, taking in his word, being around his people, spending time in prayer, getting on our knees before the Lord, and and, and pleading that the blood of Christ would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus alone can purify, purify our hearts. And then humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And the inverse is true. Exalt yourself, and he will humble you. Finally, After we've taken our lingering lovers, we've learned how to leave our lovers, then what are we to do? We're to love others. Love God and love others. The whole Bible is summed up in that. So James 4, 11 through 12 says this, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? From 18 to 30, literally, 
like 35 probably, I would get a speeding ticket every year of my life. It was predictable. It would just happen. I would get a speeding ticket. Until four and a half, five years ago, I stopped getting speed. I haven't had a speeding ticket in almost five years. It's, it's miraculous. And the reason why is because I met Laura. And Laura started riding with me. She'd be like, you're speeding. You're going too fast. There's a cop. You need to, you know, you need to slow down. You're falling too close. She was beside me. And she wasn't nagging me. She was helping me. She was concerned about my driving record, my insurance rates, my, my checking account that was getting depleted, my safety, her safety, the other driver's safety. She was concerned. She was there to help me, to preserve me. She didn't want retribution. She didn't want me, you deserve a $200 ticket for going 85. But instead, she's like, slow down. That's not good for you. And in this passage, we see the two spectrums that we all fall into when we see a brother in sin because this is talking about brothers, brothers and neighbors. Prosecution and passivity. Our default setting is one of the others, prosecution or passivity, depending on probably your wiring and your nature. Prosecution, to see someone else in sin and be like, you idiot, I can't believe you would do that, you fool. You deserve the wrath of God. I, how, how foolish of you. And to put yourself in the place of judge, to assume a position that you've not been given. There are elders of the church. They are overseers and have been given a reverent position to shepherd and oversee, and they do enact church discipline when needed. But if you've not been given that role, it's not your role. And so you might say, oh, great, so I'm not to judge? And then you swing to the other side of passivity, of saying, hey, well, judge not lest you be judged. And, you know, I'm not that close to them anyway. And they probably have their own community group. And I don't even know if they're actually a believer and truly a brother. And, you know, it, he's my boss, so that would be awkward if I were to say something. And you go from prosecution to passivity and just say nothing. And that's sin too. See Proverbs 24, 11, and 12, where it says, hold them back who are staggering towards the slaughter. And if you say you didn't know, God will hold you accountable. So what's the balance? What do we do? Right in the middle, preservation. That is our aim. That is our goal. Preservation defined is to keep, to restore, to heal, to help. You see, in the Bible, we're not to ignore sin, nor are we to prosecute a brother and judge them. We are to rather rightfully judge the sin, not the brother, And so we seek to encourage, exhort, admonish, warn, rebuke, carry burdens, come alongside of, love one another. Retribution is not the aim. Restoration is. It's not prosecution. It's not passivity. It's preservation. You remember how I started by talking about being cheated on? Well, after that season, once I had realized my lingering lovers and God had helped me to leave those lovers, I started loving others, including her. And so I reached out to her and I said, you know what? I was the wretched person. I'm the terrible one. The whole time that I was with you, I was engaged in alcoholism, sexual sin. I was terrible. I am so sorry. Will you please forgive me? And that's what we're to do today as we break out into our groups is not think about others, but rather let this word examine us, see what lingering lovers we have, what we must do out of loyalty to love for God 
how to leave our lovers and what it would look like to stop judging others and instead love others. Let's pray. Father, this morning is yours. We pray that you would use it, God, in mighty ways, that you would press hard upon our hearts until we confess and bring into the light our lingering lovers. And Lord God, that you would help us to leave them, that we would be set apart wholly to you, and that we would stop judging others, but rather seek to love others for their preservation and their restoration. We love you, Lord. Amen.